Welcome to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. This is uh, episode 328, Home Automation. automation. Yeah. Yes. This is Tony Bemis. Tom Lawrence. And Jay LaCroix. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about our little projects of home automation uh, and uh, and either some of the pitfalls and and what works well. Yeah. And the first pitfall is Tony's got a light bulb that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So I was at Home Depot the other day, and they have these Philips Wiz bulbs. They're Wi-Fi connected, so it's not Zigbee or Z-Wave or anything. And um, it's supposed to be just easy. But the problem is you have to use an app to configure it. And uh, my phone, because I guess Google thinks it needs to be too smart for this kind of thing, uh, won't let me connect to it because as soon as it connects, then it says, oh, wait, there's no internet and drops off. Yeah. And I ran into this problem before, and I think it's uh, hard to assimilate. So I tried playing on my phone to simulate it. I guess you probably have to build a network, give it no internet. There's an other option, even though it says stay connected to this network, the pixel drops it. But there's another option somewhere that says stay connected without internet or use as is. I remember it said like use as is. So I think that's, mm. yeah, it, it's it's annoying and I get because someone uh, didn't like the fact when me and Jay were talking on the Home Lab show about automation, they said, oh, no, Tom, Tom said Zigbee. I had to stop listening once Tom said Zigbee. He's not using just standard Wi-Fi and things like that. Oh, no, Zigbee is nice because you press button, device comes on. It works. It's magic. It uses the Zigbee standard, which is not the same as the Wi-Fi standard. Right. <laughs> <this is> why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, see, it, may, it works out for me. So, yeah. Well, you're using a Wi-Fi one though. You've run into the firmware issues on yours, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's uh, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, Tuya, T-U-Y-A, and there's this app that allows you to effectively jailbreak them, and it worked fine until it didn't. Um, some of the newer ones that I ordered, they have a newer version of the firmware. So there's like this cat and mouse game between the uh, you know, people that write the custom firmware and then the devices they don't like you doing that, so they you know try to block you. And I haven't checked in the, you know, this week, I'm just hoping at some point I can, you know, liberate these smart plugs, but they're just in a box right now, not being used until that day. And it's, it's like, mm. I have so many things that need a smart plug right now that I can't, I can't use it. I mean, I could, if I just gave in and used their app, but I don't want to, because then I'd have like two apps to do the one thing. And I don't like that. So I think, I think uh, what it comes down to is uh, what are you using for your hub? What, uh, for home your home automation? Yeah, it's Home Assistant, and it's going to be changed to Home Assistant Blue, which is a custom um, Odroid box for Home Assistant. But I haven't used it yet. I'll be reviewing it. I haven't even turned it on yet. I told myself, if, you know, I have to edit all my videos first, and then once I get a certain way through, then I'll allow myself to check it out, and I'll be reviewing it. But right now, I have Home Assistant running in a Proxmox virtual machine, so and it's all on a segregated VLAN. So there's, you know, things can't talk to things that they, you know, want them talking to. So um, now Home Assistant can hook into Tuya, no problem. But it's just like I like everything to be consolidated when I can, and I'm also um, a little picky. So just want to get those liberated and then get them joined in. I'm getting kind of frustrated. I'm almost at the point now where I just want to do the, you know, the hard method with an exacto blade and then putting the wires on the board and actually injecting the firmware that way. But I'm trying to avoid that if I can, but um, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Are you using home assistant, Tony? I am. Yeah. I was using that Google, uh, 
things for, or not Google, I'm sorry, Mozilla things for a while. And I thought it was cool. It was easy to use, but there was uh, a lot of pitfalls with that one, mainly because when I was, I used uh, Zigbee, like lights. Yeah. Well, if the regular switch is turned off, so there's no power to it, then the hub sits there, keeps on trying to connect to it, trying to connect to it. And then it pretty much hangs up all automation until it can connect. And huh. lights are off all the time in my house uh, because I haven't gone fully automated. Like I haven't gotten the buttons to be able to turn the lights on and off. So, ah, so, so I went away from there. <laughs> right. And what I like about Home Assistant, it has an offline feature. So if the device is offline, then it doesn't try to connect to it or it doesn't hang up other processes to be able to, to do that. So that's really uh, fixed a lot of the issues that I was having. Yeah, that's the challenge is um, it's an uphill battle because the, the nice thing, if you go Zigbee, you don't have to worry about the firmware flashing, but Wi-Fi has its other advantages of, you know, being a more open standard and getting everything connected to it and a yeah. little bit more fault tolerant because, well, Wi-Fi devices come and go because that's how Wi-Fi works. But um, some of the setups can be a little challenging. I do like Home Assistant overall. I started using it only uh, maybe about a month or two ago. We just have it on a Raspberry Pi with one of the little uh, Zigbee devices in there. And overall, I I love the project. Um, we for the, I, I kind of joked we came full circle uh, doing testing with it because the app on the phone for it works really well. I don't know if you've tried it, Tony, um, but they have a mm -hmm. phone app. And the phone app. Uh, supports talking to NFC devices. So in the world oh. of coming full circle, we have a bunch of NFC tags because we were printing our own uh, Mebo Wii things. <laughs> so really? yeah, we made our own and we put our own NFC tags in there because that's a different project. Um, but we have more of the NFC tags are like little round stickers. So you can stick them on lights. And when you stick them on the lights, you can then tap your phone to the light and turn the light on and off. But that feels like it's coming full circle because it seems like you're already at the light and doing it, but you can, you can really overthink this and make something really cool. Well, that's actually a good use for a selfie stick, right? You just put your phone on the selfie stick and you just kind of reach over and just tap oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what more I'm thinking home automation and, and the, uh, is that you open the door and you tap it on the door frame where you have one of those yep. stickers and then it turns lights on in your, in your house or like your kitchen, your main room or whatever. So you don't have to look around and, and search for the, the switches. Yeah. That's actually something the overall I, I like, and Jay brought this up and I, I, didn't realize this was a feature um the being on the network option so you can actually detect what's on your network like when your phone connects to your wi-fi network turn things on your home when your phone is not on the wi-fi network turn down the heat turn down whatever it is yep. you could build automation around you know turn on all these other things because you're not there and turn on these things because you are uh, so mm -hmm. when people leave a room and or leave the house you can uh, do that so i thought that's kind of cool i mean you can go a step further and have things like open your garage door when you pull up so you don't have to uh yeah like, hey, i connected um, to my wi-fi i heard mm -hmm. someone put a raspberry pi zero i wish i remember what who this was as another youtuber or podcaster they um had a raspberry pi zero and a battery and they used a hot glue gun and they just gobbed it to the um pole like the telephone pole outside their house like where their driveway is so when they're driving through and their phone is in their pocket and hits that thing their garage door is automatically opening and apparently that battery lasts a year or something like that so nice. you have to go out there and charge it or take it down and redo it but um i kind of want to do that to be honest that'd be that'd be so cool you could stick a solar panel on it Mm -hmm. Now then, you're getting me thinking. Solar panel. Yeah, solar, 
they have they have ones you just pre-made that you can plug into like a you know the usb battery things and then uh from there you know solar or you know solar panel in and then out to the raspberry pi and and then oh, this yeah. will the battery pack will always be charged and uh and yeah that'd be awesome yeah you know they have those uh when you if you're camping or something like that some of the fold out weather resistant they're a battery pack and solar panel in one you're right that would work really well really well for that yeah yeah if you're going to leave it out there permanently you might want to build a little enclosure but yeah. uh right. yeah, that would work or let's go even further you know we're, we're, is go ahead and build raspberry pi set up the uh camera system on it with those object recognition libraries and have it recognize your car <laughs> yeah you know, just go down the rabbit hole further. This is Jay. Put this on your list because you don't have enough to do, right? There's no end <laughs> to this at all. Um, I I'm only paused right now because of um, you know my smart plug situation, but um, I, I think today I have like enough videos edited to justify actually doing the review on the Home Assistant Blue. So I think I'm going to actually record that today and check it out and get converted over to that, and then from there. It's like, well, what's not automated and what needs to be. Another thing I really like to do is make sure the smart plugs have the energy use detection where they can you can understand like how much power is going through it. So you could oh, yeah. find out like, okay, which room is using the most power. And then um, you know, like in my case, you tell your son from now on, you're putting your computer on suspend when you're not using it. Um, you know, save some money, right? Because you know where the the power usage usage is going. And they even have some open source projects that you can, you don't have to like do surgery on your, you know, your power box, but it's like a clamp that clamps to it. And it'll tell you right from there, what room is using the most power. And you can hook that into home assistant too. So you can really, that's what I really want. Yeah. You can understand everything about your power usage at that point. So if you have a device that's just, you know, faulty and using a bunch of electricity, then, Oh, right there in that room is where the problem is. And that's why my bill is so high. So, um, yeah, there's so many fun things you can do. Now, this is one of the challenges I found with the Zigbee-based devices. And it's probably because the way the Zigbee protocol works is very, very low bandwidth. And it, it probably leads into this. The All the Zigbee devices I found, and maybe it's just because I didn't look hard enough, do not offer any of the power management features. This is something more specific to the Wi-Fi ones that Jay's using do have that. But once you go into that side of the house and uh, TP-Link was one of the companies that was making a lot of them. And at first I was like, oh, cool. I can just order these TP-Links until I took the time to actually read the forum posts. And this is what gets challenging about trying to run your own home assistant. The forum posts are like, you have to buy the model before this date. And if not, the firmware isn't supported because they basically, they changed it up to stop home assistant from mm -hmm. using it um, and getting downgrading the firmware apparently is a little bit more challenging it, one of the things that uh jay noticed is there's a way you jumper a couple chips like you have to pop it apart jumper some chips uh get a breakout box essentially and push the firmware to it it's not something you connect and do so it's kind of a pain to do that and that's one of the reasons i went with zigbee just to get a few things up and running it's a it's kind of a time over effort i would like to know how much power my studio is using i'd like to set it up for when i do server testing when i turn on a server and have a nice little power display that would be kind of cool but uh the other side of it was the time it took to try and find them all the ones that i found that were compatible like people listed links for them to sale were always out of stock so it came I'm like, oh, I can only get this bottle. And you could try to hunt them down on eBay, but sometimes people were overcharging for them because they know they're more valuable with the firmware that works with Home Assistant. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yep. some of Wise devices are are like that, where you can replace the firmware, but not the latest version of it, mm-hmm. or things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it gets to be really tedious. That's one of the challenges of setting up these home assistant things. Like they're definitely a huge hobbyist project, but rightfully so because as these companies, and I'm trying to remember if it was Home Depot or Lowe's, which one of them got caught up in a kind of a fiasco. They sold a lot of one product, and that product went belly up. And the cloud controller went belly up because, well, and then all the devices became, as I had a friend and uh, he built his new house. And even though he's a tech friend, he did not want to go home assist or anything like that. He just went and went all one device from his locks to his everything that they sold. And uh, it doesn't work anymore. It's all installed in his new house. But when the cloud went out, so did his house. It's it's all stuck in the last position. And uh, there was, I remember a, the name of the company eludes me at the moment. Someone will, someone will be, someone on listening to this is yelling it right now. But uh, one of the, I remember the petition there was, because it happened a couple of years ago, was to return on the cloud or open the protocol so people could do it. Deaf ears. The company that bought them didn't care about the cloud. They brought some of the technology. They're like, yeah, we turned it off. And uh, whatever position things were left in, that's the position they're in. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's horrible. There's real risk for uh, any of these companies that lock you into their cloud. I, I get it from a standpoint of it makes it really, really easy. But the other side of it is cloud isn't free to run. So if it doesn't have a subscription attached to it um, and their business model is we'll keep selling product at a rate we hope, hope, I should say, that there's a sustainability to keep our cloud alive. Um mm-hmm. It's not to me. It's not the best business model uh, for any of these companies. I'm always suspicious when they don't offer subscriptions. It's like, well, you have to monetize something, and I don't know how much you can monetize the position of my light switch. I mean, can you sell my metadata about light switches? I mean, Facebook's going to giving it away for free because they monetize my existence. I don't know if the light switch people can figure out a way to. Tom keeps it on this many hours and off this many hours. Can we sell that to power companies to sustain our power? We don't know. <laughs> You know, and that that part I'm not worried about is uh, the thing that I'm worried about is if it is a connected device, right? Then and it connects out to the 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 cloud. Then what if there's a firmware update that is a bad firmware update? Not not that it causes problems, but it means they it introduces a, a back door to allow people in. Yes. So I I use a separate network for my I have an IoT network for all that stuff. Yeah, and that part makes sense, but where it gets scary is when they control some type of safety device. We mentioned garage doors. What if, you know, there's a, uh, I didn't know this, and it was actually something funny they were talking about on uh, the Twit network uh, several episodes ago. I think it was on uh, the Google one. They were talking about garage door openers, even though there's different brands. There's one parent company that bought all the brands. That's actually why they're so compatible with each other. They're talking about interoperability. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh. actually, because, because all these different brands aren't, they just have different boxes, but one company owns all of them. But that's what gives you the compatibility. That's also, I think it's called the I, the garage IQ or something like that. It's a common network you can attach to these for using an app. I have a few friends that have it and they ask me why I don't have it because I, I do have a grad new house with a new garage opener that can be connected, but is not. I'm fine with pressing a button, open my garage door, because if someone hacks that cloud system, gets in there, it's not secure. Um, right. What if someone pressed the button because for the lulls, we open all the garage doors at once across America because that could be funny oh, to no. someone. Um, it's just a matter of time before something at that scale happens. Someone goes, you know what I can do right now? I can open all the garage doors. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> or gosh. what if it's, you know, uh, eco Right, and that, might, yeah. and that might not be malicious, but that no. means it's open and, and somebody walking by can be. 
Yes. And if you didn't know your garage door open, you're suddenly surprised by this. And yeah. it can be, it can create its its own issues. Or uh, I, I bring up Ecobee because the same problem. You start attaching all these different thermostats like the Ecobee, the Nest. I mean, I think Google overall is a good steward of security. They may not be the best steward when it comes to privacy, but when it comes to security, I trust them with the Nest system. Like I don't worry as much about it being hacked, but it's still a concern. And same with the Ecobee. Someone turns my heat off in the dead of winter, that's a danger, or they turn it up too much. Either one of those situations can create a kind of safety situation. That's why I love things that are very much in my control. Like I work in tech and uh, maybe at my younger years, I did a lot of dumb things. <laughs> so I go, what, what would, what would Tom do if he was 15 years old and had access to even more technology? I mean, I was right. nefarious enough with technology when it was dial up. <laughs> Wow, there's there's uh, quite a few thermostats that work with um, Home Assistant and yeah. uh, Zigbee stuff, and I have a uh, a Zigbee um, thermostat that's wasn't that expensive. I want to say it was forty five dollars. Oh, it's not bad at and, all. And it connects to any of the home on or home hubs, and so uh, you know the uh, Home Assistant's a good one. Yeah. I it's it's nice is i mean i think there's a lot of value in building the automation for things like jay said i know who's using too much power in the house uh yep. if you're trying to be more energy efficient um, that's not the hugest concern here in different areas of the u.s but eventually power prices will go up and in some areas especially if uh, we have european listeners they're only like what do you mean gonna go up they're expensive because power uh, distribution can be quite a bit more expensive in some of these other areas so i think there's a lot i'm actually i'm glancing over because i actually already had home assistant turned on for <laughs> on, on my screen over here i like the fact that it even knows the weather and you can create triggers off of that because you can make adjustments I need an automatic window opener. That would be kind of cool too. Yeah, I uh, I was messing around with uh, motion sensing. I have a uh, this cheap um, Chinese camera that I put on my. It's on my uh, IoT network, but I give it no rules to get out. Uh, anyways, it has a motion detection uh, trigger on it, and it can trigger when there's motion. So with Home Assistant, can connect to it and say, "Oh, there's motion," and then you can turn on lights. Oh, um, so that oh, was fun. I, I and then I absolutely need that. Yeah. Uh, but the problem I'm having with these uh, cameras is if you have more than one system connecting to it at a time or the RTSP uh, stream, then they like go offline. Huh. So they're, they're like ultra cheap and not sure so, if I really like them that much. Um, so this might be a, a workaround for this. Have you looked at a tool called Motion Eye? Yeah, that's actually what I'm using for my main camera system. Okay. Is, uh, yeah, is MotionEye. But so the problem I was having is MotionEye is using it as the, the uh, camera there, you know, as like my camera recording and, and monitoring and everything. But then when I had Home Assistant also connect to that same camera, then it had, you know, two things were connecting to it and causing it to go offline. Wow. Uh, well, I did look up, there is some automation if you want to write a script, you can have motion. I uh, do a web call over to uh, home assistant to say, this is the trigger of the motion. So yeah, motion. I is triggering it. 
That's what I was going to suggest is Motion Eye combined with the Raspberry Pi Zero. So it's low cost and it's got the webhook option. So you could do that and, and trigger an event on Motion, do this. Uh, so that might might be a workaround because finding cameras that are inexpensive but also flexible for better use is kind of tricky. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I agree. I So I have a mix. I have a couple of those WAN. It's called a... WAN view, WV WAN something, and um, and then I have the uh, Raspberry Pi Motion Eye cameras, so they're Pi Zeros. I so I have four of those, and then I have two of the uh, WAN views, hmm. um, and uh, so that's what I like about uh, Motion Eye also is that you can mix and match different brands and and different protocols, um, and I have that Motion Eye is running in a VM. Uh, on my uh, one of my servers, and then um, then the on the Raspberry Pis, the individual cameras out there all running Motion Eye as the OS. Um, and I like the I like the management and the use of it. It's just um, the uh, the cameras I bought for the the actual camera I bought. I didn't get like the high quality camera or the uh, HD cameras. I just buy the, bought the standard ones, and they're just not clear enough. And um, the night, uh, I have the night vision ones also. Like some are night vision, some aren't. The night vision is just isn't quite bright enough to be able to see what needs to be. Um, yeah, they they work for things close up. Um, I think I talked about this a number of years ago when I built one uh, for my sump pump camera. It's how I watch to make sure the pump is pumping right because it it's easy, it's close. I can physically see it. So instead of just a water trigger, I can actually see, you know, how much water is in the sump. Is it running at all? Is it dry? So it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's a nice close uh, kind of project yeah. to set it up for. But an outdoor project, I, I remember playing with it outside going, yeah, this doesn't go particularly far. But there are a couple different, um, I mean, because it's just some IR LEDs, you can get something that blasts more uh, infrared out there. Mm -hmm. It just probably wouldn't be powered by the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> right. It needs a little well, more so, juice. Yeah. So it's nice to have a, a little project like this that you can build out and you know, you know, I'm building this. And, you know, for knowledge of how things work, that's fun. But when you come down to it, you got the Raspberry Pi Zero plus the camera. You know, you're, we're looking at sixty bucks right there, and then yeah. the, uh, you know, then a light, additional light. You know, we're we're getting around eighty dollars, and for what twenty, thirty dollars more, you can get a really nice camera that does it all, and it's all like built in. You know. Yeah. It becomes a little tricky. Is there any list of supported ones for the home assistant? Is there like a list of supported cameras or uh, devices? Is that something they're getting more into? I think it's more um, does the protocol it uses. So it, okay. it, it can do RTSP. And there's that ONI, is it ONIV? OMVIF or something like that. Yeah, that's right. standard for cameras. Yeah. So in, what I figured out is the, own, the ONVIV is actually just like a auto sense or auto discovery protocol and then it actually switches over to rtsp as the streaming protocol um oh nice it's just yes. like kind of like kind of like a negotiation and setup and then it streams with rtsp 
Okay. Exactly. Never, at least, I, at least I know the support from dealing with camera systems, but I've never really dug into the functional details of it. I'm like, okay, cool. Ovis support. It detects it. Great. It set it up. Awesome. <laughs> one yeah, thing so you the, probably, I was going to say, one thing you could check is cloudfree.shop. They have... Um, oh, that's what I was... Yes. Yeah, they have a lot of those. I think sometimes they could be like sold out because of uh, how popular that store is because another podcast mentions them a lot. But if you go on cloudfree.shop, um, you could just look at what's compatible. They're all compatible with Home Assistant. That's what they sell. And if I remember correctly, I think the person that owns that shop like uh, liberates the devices and then puts them up for sale. So mm. um, it, it wouldn't be like um, a device. I don't think it's a device that just uh, has Home Assistant. Excuse me, Home Assistant on the box. It's like I'm, I'm assuming the person opened the box, jailbreaked it, and then um, put it back in and sold it. So which is great because that's one less thing. Um, that I would have to do. The only reason why I haven't bought from there is because the ones they had available at the time I looked didn't have the power sensing, the power usage sensor thing on there. So um, not what I'm looking for, but they might have it now. It's been about a month, so. Nope. It, it says available on back order. The one wow. that runs the Tasmoda, um, they're available on back order. So apparently it is a great idea that <laughs> they don't have the ability to keep up the demand because a few are out of stock and the other ones are um, back ordered so i did check but you meet you're obviously if you listen to this podcast it's in the future so check again but as yep. of the podcast october 1st 2021 uh the ones that jay just mentioned are still out of stock <laughs> unfortunately yeah this has been this is a challenge i ran into as well when i got mine about a month ago which is what made me go with the zigbee stuff <laughs> i can't even buy unify cameras still i've been trying for months yeah mm. yeah that's uh, the supply chain issues are very real here in 2021 and lots of things are hard to find and definitely out of stock. Uh, they actually have Tony and I'll mention this. Um, I didn't, didn't even think about this, but this was on there. They actually make, it's called the AQARA Aquora. I don't know how to say that word. AQARA motion sensor. Um, and it's under $20 and it's just a motion sensor uh, that it ties in there. So that's kind of novel. That's an easy way to do the, the light thing. Yeah. Instead of trying to make a camera do it, they actually have something that works with Home Assistant designed for motion sensing. <laughs> yeah, you know that that was gonna be my next uh, my next step was look for that. Yeah. Um, but what I did, so the whole reason there, there was actually a, a more of just not not just automation, but uh, I put smart lights out outside on my patio with the camera, uh, and the only way to get power to the camera at least the easy way to get power to the camera is just tie into the lights power right there that I put the camera next to. Well, that's on a switch. So anytime somebody shuts the lights off, then the camera goes out. Right. So, uh, so I thought, well, I'll make it motion activated. Well, then we're having that issue with the motion sensor. So yes, I agree. I want, I need to get one of those motion sensors and, uh, I'm ultra cheap, so I was hoping to get something under twenty bucks. Uh, or, That's only seventeen. That, that, yeah. that meets the Tony criteria. There you go. <laughs> right. Um, but what I ended up doing is uh, I just got a I got one of those um, Philips uh, Hue buttons. Okay. And that works with Zigbee. So I just stuck that next to the door and say, use this as the switch instead of the main switch. Okay. And that turns lights on and off. So we're good for, for now, uh, but I'm still looking for that motion sensor. So yeah, I might uh, I might get that one. I should build something like that because I, I like physical mm -hmm. switches still. I was um, indulging in old, some Linux, uh, was it the LGR, the, the classic 
channel. Oh, you got some. If you can read it, this is that Phillips Yeah, it so it's Zigbee, and it um this was on sale at Home Depot. It was like three bucks off, so it's still like twenty something, twenty three dollars. Okay. Um, but I think you can buy it on Amazon for that same price. Yeah. Uh, it it works really well, and it does the on off and uh, dim up and dim down. Oh, cool. Uh, buttons, and um, so that's fun. And then you know, getting it set up in Home Assistant, so you have to say when you hit on, or you hit the button, the on button on this button, then you have to turn these lights on, and then so there's an on. Uh, automation and then there's an off automation and then there's a dim up and a dim down. Uh, so you have to build like four little automations for it to do that. Uh, but then it, it works really well. Once it's done, you kind of let it and set it and go. Yeah, that's something Home Assistant is really good at is building like a series of chain together automation events. Um, I'm still learning how all that works, but uh, Jay is done. Seeing how Jay has his set up, I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool that you can do all those different things. So. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm actually going to be hooking Mycroft into it at some point. I was going to do some videos, but then um, it's looking like I might get a another review unit of the newer Mycroft. So I'm kind of just holding out for that. But I figure it kind of works out. Do the review of the Home Assistant Blue, get that set up. And then whenever I get the new Mycroft, I'll start hooking him into it. And I could just tell him to do stuff around the house and he can hook into home, you know, home Assistant. So um that's going to be a lot of fun. There's just so many things I, I want to do. I can't wait to uh, get started on. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Any more comments we have on this? I think we've covered it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, not, that's all on my end. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Sunday Morning Linux Review, episode 328, Home Automation. I'll See you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we're trying to keep this regular thing going. So we're still working on tune retuning the show and retuning it. Uh, we do look forward to your feedback so you can uh, throw us some ideas. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.